Lesson 3 for July 9 through to 15, Justice and Mercy in the Old Testament, Part 1. Sabbath afternoon, July 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for your word and the effect it has on our daily lives. We pray that as we open it this week that your Holy Spirit will guide us once again. May we see Jesus and how we relate to him and to you. We pray, Lord, that this week will be a special week for each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 146, verses 7 through to 9. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Let's read that again, Psalm 146, 7 through to 9. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Years ago, on a cold day in New York City, a ten-year-old boy, barefoot and shivering, peered in the window of a shoe store. A woman came to the boy and asked why he was looking so earnestly in the window. He said that he was asking God to give him a pair of shoes. The woman took him by the hand into the store. She asked the clerk to bring six pair of socks. She also requested a basin of water and a towel. Taking the lad to the back of the store, she removed her gloves, washed his feet and dried them with the towel. The clerk returned with the socks. The woman placed a pair on the boy's feet and then bought him a pair of shoes. She patted his head and asked him if he felt more comfortable now. As she turned to go, the astonished lad took her hand and tearfully asked, Are you God's wife? That comes from a web page titled www.inspirationalstories.com. That little boy spoke more truth than he realized. God's church is his bride, his wife. His character is expressed in the memory verse. As transformed members of his church, we must reflect that character. If we are truly his, we will passionately care about and provide for the poor and the powerless. Sunday, July 10, Mercy and Justice, Earmarks of God's People Even in early Israel, social justice was very much a part of God's laws and his ideal for his people. Justice is God's original intention for human society, a world in which basic needs are met, people flourish, and peace reigns. Question. Read the following texts and summarize what they say about mercy and justice. First of all, Exodus chapter 22, verses 21 through to 23. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. 
You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Exodus 23, verses 2 through to 9. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10, And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And Proverbs, uh, sorry, Proverbs 14, verse 31, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honours him has mercy on the needy. And Proverbs 29, verse 7, The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Mercy and justice also are highlighted in the Sabbath laws given to ancient Israel. God outlined three types of Sabbaths. Question. How is the idea of mercy and justice reflected in each of these Sabbaths? First of all, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through to 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. And Exodus 23, verses 10 to 11. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. And Leviticus chapter 25 verses 8 through to 55. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field." In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession, and if you sell anything to your neighbour or buy from your neighbour's hand, you shall not oppress one another. 
according to the number of years after the jubilee you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. For you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year, and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest." The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or, if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale, and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But, if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. If a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the jubilee. However, the houses of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They shall be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites, and the houses in the cities of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. But the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him, like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you, and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee." and then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. 
he shall return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over them with rigour, but you shall fear your God. And as for your male and female slaves, whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigour. Now, if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor, and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you, or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him, or, if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years, from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining, according to them he shall pay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And... If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him, and according to his years he shall repay him the price of his redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule with rigour over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me, they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 1. Instructions in keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, including provided equal opportunity for everyone to rest, including servants, animals, or foreigners. 2. Every seven years, the Sabbath year was a time for cancelling debts, for showing concern for the people and for freeing slaves. God instructed his people to include the animals in the benefits of the Sabbath year, as we read before in Leviticus 25, 6 and 7. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired men and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. And three, the year of Jubilee came on the fiftieth year, after seven Sabbath years. Property that was sold was restored to the original owner. Debts were forgiven and prisoners and slaves were set free. Jubilee was an equaliser of society, a reboot to give everyone an opportunity to begin anew. It was, as Ellen White writes in the Ministry of Healing, page 185, a safeguard against the extremes of either wealth or want. Here, in the very fabric of Hebrew society, we can see how justice and mercy work together in favour of the less fortunate in society.
Monday, July 11, Universal Concerns Question. Read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. What does this tell us about the universality of the Sabbath? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. If we truly observe the Sabbath, we will not remain satisfied with only our own rest, our own redemption, and ultimate restoration in the new earth, as we read in Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Indeed, the seventh-day Sabbath tells us that God is the creator and rest provider of all who live on this earth. The universality of the Sabbath rest implies a commonality among all of us, rich or poor. The common fatherhood of God means a common equality and concern among human beings. Also, as we saw yesterday, the concern for justice extends from weekly Sabbaths to sabbatical years and to the year of Jubilee. The principles behind the three Sabbaths portrayed in Leviticus 23 and 25 extend to Christians as well. The seventh-day Sabbath will forever point back to creation as well as forward to the cross and new earth. It will strengthen our relationship with our compassionate Creator and Saviour, thus bringing us closer to the ones He deeply loves, people who have deep needs, who are poor or suffering. Please note, however, that the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee illustrate eternal principles, but this doesn't mean that we are to literally observe these festivals now. We aren't. Unlike the seventh-day Sabbath, which was instituted at the creation in a pre-fall world, these are among the ceremonial Sabbaths that were a shadow of things to come, as recorded in Colossians chapter 2, pointing forward to the ministry and sacrifice of Jesus, and then ending with his death on the cross. Instead, these ceremonial Sabbaths point to a principle in regard to how we shall treat others, especially those in need. As a redeemed people, Israel had an obligation to be a light to the world, showing forth God's mercy to others with no partiality. With thanksgiving, they were to represent God's character to those who didn't know him. And so to finish today, read Amos 8 verses 4 through to 7. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be past that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. What was going on here? And how can we make sure that we, in our dealings with others, aren't guilty 
of doing the same thing. What significance do you find given the context of the words surely I will never forget any of their works? Tuesday, July 12, Prophetic Voice, Part 1 Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 reads, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Question. How do we take the principles here and apply them for today? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So far this week, we've noted that God wants His people to express His characteristics of mercy and justice as part of the ideal behaviour of His people. The Hebrew prophets often spoke up on behalf of the needy calling God's people to repentance for misrepresenting his concern for the marginalized and oppressed. In fact, God equates selfless redemptive behavior with true worship. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. What does this pronouncement say about God's definition of true worship? How can we take what is said here, in this immediate context, and apply it to ourselves today? That is, what should these verses say to us now? Isaiah 1, beginning at verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow." Though, of course, many of the Old Testament prophets pointed to future events beyond their lifetimes, they also heavily focused on spiritual and moral reform and unselfish service in the present. The prophetic voice of God's servants rang loudest when His people made extravagant efforts to worship, but did not reflect God's compassion for the suffering of those around them. One can't imagine a worse witness than those who are too busy worshipping God that they don't have time to help those in need. Might not a form of worship be revealed by those who are serving the Lord by ministering to the needs of others?
Wednesday, July 13, Prophetic Voice, Part 2 Isaiah chapter 58 provides a special prophetic message of rebuke and hope for God's people in Isaiah's time and for us today. Question. After an announcement that he is upset with his people, we read in Isaiah 58 verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. What is God's description of those he is addressing? Well, the next verse, Isaiah 58, 2 tells us, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation they did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Though we don't know the exact tone of voice expressed here, it is clear that the Lord is condemning their outward shows of piety and faith because he knows how false it all is. The New International Version translates it like this, For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Question Read Isaiah 58, verses 3 to 14. What else is the Lord saying to these people about what's wrong with their religious forms, in this case fasting? What's the bigger issue here, though? Isaiah 58, verses 3 to 14. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your labourers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light, shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rearguard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honourable, and shall honour him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, 
Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Notice something crucial here. So often worship can be self-centered. Lord, do this for me, and do that for me. And of course, there's a time and place for seeking the Lord for our own personal needs. But what the Lord is saying here is that true worship will include reaching out to the hungry, to the afflicted, and to the poor. But the amazing thing is that this ministry to others blesses not only the recipients of the help, but those giving the help. Read what the texts say about what happens to those who reach out and help those who are in need. In ministering to others, in giving to others, we get blessed ourselves. Who hasn't, at some point, experienced to some degree the reality of these promises from God? Who hasn't seen what joy and satisfaction and hope come to those who help others who can't help themselves? It's hard to imagine a better way to reflect the character of Christ to the world. And so to finish today, read Acts chapter 23, verse 35. I have shown you in every way, by labouring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. How have you experienced the reality of these words in your own ministry to others? Thursday, July 14, A Force for Good Having the truth, however wonderful, is not enough. In Isaiah 58, God's people were passionate about their religious forms and practices, and yet weak in applying their faith in a practical manner. God is calling His church today to be a force for good, echoing the call of the Old Testament prophets to demonstrate the truth about His character. Question Read the following texts, How can we as a local church, and as a world church, seek to do what we have been called by God to do in this area? First of all, Psalm 82 and verse 3, Defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy. And Isaiah 1 verse 17, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widow. One urban church is in a community plagued by gun violence. In 2011, the clear prophetic voice of its pastor rang out during an urban ministry congress in a large city. Here are sample thoughts found in his speech. Christians must stop the death march. Referring to the biblical story when Jesus stopped the funeral train for the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7, he explained how the church could not sit idly by while street violence escalated in their community. He asked his audience, Are we simply a church that stands up to do eulogies? Instead, we need to ask ourselves if we are a church that works to relieve suffering. This church also is very active in community development. 
For seven years, the church choir went to the streets of their community. They sang, passed out flyers, and offered the services of the church to those who had needs. From this contact with their community, the church helped their neighbourhood in numerous ways that greatly benefited those in need. Through various and numerous programs, the church made a big difference in the community. This church is just one example of the many ways that we as a church body can be a ministering and healing force in our communities. So to finish today, what can your church do to help the needy in your community? Friday, July 15. The concepts of justice and mercy are seen all through the Old Testament. Look at, for instance, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 to 22. Let's read that first. When you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor... You shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates, each day you shall give him his wages, and not let the sun go down on it. For he is poor, and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall redeem that you were a slave in Egypt. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Look at the specific instructions given in these cases. We can see so clearly the Lord's concern for the poor, for the workers, for those in debt. This concern is expressed not merely in abstract and lofty language about care for the less fortunate. Instead, at least here, it also is expressed in concrete and practical instructions on what to do and what not to do in specific instances, such as with someone in debt or with a poor worker. These concepts were too important to be left totally to one's own personal notions of what justice and benevolence were. Notice, too, how the Lord referred them back to where they had once been, to when they certainly were among the less fortunate. 
Remember that you were slaves in Egypt? That is why I command you to do this, he says in Deuteronomy 24 verse 22. As Christians, regardless of our financial situation, we must always remember the grace and unmerited favour God has bestowed upon us. Thus, out of the richness and fullness of what we have in Christ, we need to be ready to serve and help those who need our help and service. And we'll look at Colossians 2.10 And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And Ephesians 3.19 To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that brings us to our two discussion questions this week. One, how does the fourth commandment saying that servants should rest on the Sabbath help reveal the idea of the equality of all humanity before the Lord? How, too, should that help us to understand in general how we should justly treat those who work for us or those who are under our control to some degree? Also, how does the universality of what Christ did on the cross reveal even more greatly the equality of all human beings before God. And question two. From the Pacific Union Recorder, July 21, 1904, we read, When the mind of Christ becomes our mind, and his works our works, we shall be able to keep the fast described by the prophet Isaiah. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens? Isaiah 58, 6. Find out what the poor and suffering are in need of, and then, in love, and tenderness, help them to courage and hope and confidence by sharing with them the good things that God has given you. End of quote. How do we do this? That is, how do we share what we have been given in Christ, but do so in tangible ways that can truly help those in need? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Dismissed but Determined, Part 3 And I guess you've been waiting to hear what Isaiah Malik Garang from South Sudan says as the story concludes The night before my baptism I had a dream I saw myself standing on an earth that was clean and bright I looked up and saw a ladder reaching from the ground to the sky People were running from all directions and climbing the ladder. They were singing, We can never stop following Jesus, for we are marching to heaven. The ladder was full of people singing this song. Then I watched myself climb the ladder. I awoke suddenly and sat up, wondering if I was still alive. Then I knelt to thank God for the wonderful lesson and courage He had given me. I was baptized in a river near the pastor's home. Shortly afterward, I was invited to work as a volunteer with Global Mission. I enjoyed this work for three months, but I realized that I needed to return to my wife and the small congregation I had left behind. I told my team leader of my decision and expressed my hope that God would bring these new believers into the church as he had me. 
I returned home and visited the eight groups that were meeting in my former pastoral district. They had continued worshipping on Sabbath and were eager to hear what I'd learned during my absence. Most of them accepted the Adventist message and were baptised. My wife was one of the first to be baptised. How thrilled I am to have her stand by me in this new ministry. Even the priest, who was dismissed with me so many months earlier, took his stand and asked to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As a result of my being dismissed from my former churches, today we have about 355 members in 13 Adventist churches, companies and groups in my region of South Sudan. I minister to the very people I had ministered to as a priest in my former church. Our work is not easy. Some of our churches have been torn down during the night, with only piles of materials left in their place. But even these setbacks have been a blessing as we simply rebuild and invite the destroyers to join us for worship. It is difficult to make inroads in new areas, but we work hard and God is blessing. Thank you for partnering with us in southern Sudan to finish the work God has for us here. And Isaac Malik Garang now serves as the Greater Equatoria Field Associate Secretary of the Ministerial Association and as Associate Director in the Family Ministries and Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department. What a great story! This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.